It's really good to see everybody. I want to thank you all for being a part of the group today. Good to see Miss Sonia back. That's outstanding. I haven't seen you in a while. And uh, I think I know everybody here. It's really good. Except one new face. What's your name? I'm Samuel. Samuel Ronnie. Nice to meet you. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get started in our study today for Samuel and for Sonia. She hasn't been here a while, but actually when she left a year ago, we were still talking about the same thing. We're doing the life of Christ. Right? We're doing the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. What does that mean when we say a harmony of the Gospels? Together. together, Harmonizing. We're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're taking the whole big story and making it one long picture, one long uh, chronological line of the physical uh, life, the earthly ministry of Jesus while he was here on the earth. And so... um, We'll start by opening with a word of prayer. Um, we'll quickly review a couple of the things that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, and then we'll get into the lesson day. Hopefully today we're going to be able to get through um, this John 7 passage that we've been trying to get through for the last two weeks. We, we've run off onto two uh, rabbit holes the last two weeks, but they were good rabbit holes. I think we learned a lot. I think we had a good discussion. And uh, So let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and prepare our hearts to study the Word of God. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings that you pour on our lives. Thank you for the food that has been given, provided for us today, for those who so kindly use their hands and their time and labor to make it. Um, please bless this food to our bodies, our bodies to your service. Um, as we come now to your word, this time of study, um, Lord, we recognize that without your Holy Spirit, um, our eyes will stay closed and our hearts will stay hard. So we pray that in the next few minutes that we have together in your word, that you will, will soften our hearts and open our eyes and our ears and our minds to your truth. Lord, I'll be the first to admit in front of everyone here that there are things in your word that I still struggle with today, um, that I still have a hard time trusting in my own life. Uh, and uh, I know that everybody else here does too. So I pray that you will be kind enough to point those things out to us, help us to see areas of our lives where we still struggle, help us to recognize areas of our lives where we're still hard-headed and and stubborn and uh, callous towards your truth, and give us the willingness and the strength and the ability to yield to that truth. Um, Help us to walk in it, help us to receive it and to believe it, and Lord, give us a heart and a will and a desire to share that truth with others that you place in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, Amen. 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 So, as we've been studying the life of Christ, um, we've talked about in the past couple of weeks the different types of people who were confronted by Jesus. Um, all through the scriptures, you kind of think that it's people that are coming to seek Jesus, but in reality, we know that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It was actually the Jesus that came seeking us, right? What did He say? I come to seek and to save, save the, lost. the lost. That's why He came to the earth, to seek and to save the lost. And so, those that he is seeking, last week when we were together, what did we call them? His what? Anybody remember? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So that makes us sheep. That's exactly right. So, he's come to seek and to save uh, that which is lost. And so, he, how does he do that? He cries out. And what does he cry out with? What does Jesus cry out with? The word. Yep. And... What does it tell us about what in the scriptures we talked about last week? What do we know about those who are his sheep? What is there? We hear his voice. We recognize that he's the shepherd and we're his sheep. And when he calls, what do we do? We come. Right? We're, we're obedient. I have a dog. And uh, she's pretty obedient. Most of the time when I call her name and ask her to come to me, she will come. Right? She's a wonderful dog. Right? But sometimes... If there's a squirrel in the yard, 
uh, and she's after that squirrel. Sometimes she's not going to hear me when I call. She's going to go after the squirrel, and I have to go get her with a leash and bring her back. So are you saying we got a lot of squirrels in our life? We do have a lot of squirrels in our life. There's, old, there's a movie, a cartoon movie called Up, where the old man's got a dog, and, and, and every time it says squirrel, the dog turns around to look. Now, my cat's completely different. My cat does exactly what he wants to do. I don't even really think he knows his name, and he only comes to you when he's ready, you know? When I come home from work, my dog comes running in and jumps in my lap and licks me and is all happy to see me. Her tail's wagging, or she don't have a tail, but her butt's shaking. And she's happy to see me. But when I open the door when I come home from work, my cat runs right through my legs and straight out the pet door out into the yard. He could care less that I'm home. Well, the reality is is that we as people respond to God's truth in different ways. He tells us that if we are his sheep, we will hear his voice, we will recognize his voice, we will trust his voice, and we will come to him when he calls. Right? And just like you said, so often in our lives, we do have squirrels. There are certain chinks in our armor, if you will. There are certain times when God calls and we have a tendency to harden our uh Hearts are just like the kids in school, stick their fingers in their ears and say, la, 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 I can't hear you. Self gets in the way. Self does get in the way a lot. Now, remember, there are those out there that are not his. And what is the what is their response to his word, to his truth? They ignore it. They ignore it. Sometimes it's anger. Anger. They don't want to hear it. Good. They don't want to hear it. Now, what about this? Do you think there are people in churches today who wear nice suits and go every Sunday that are actually not responsive to his word, that don't yes. really trust him. Yes. Mm-hmm. And do you think there are some out in the world around us today who are possibly his sheep who maybe have not heard his word? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Right. And so... That's why he hasn't come back yet. Yep. And it's our responsibility as his children... To tell others. And what is the method we should use to tell others? Show them by the way we live. Okay. Anybody else? A living testimony. The gospel. The gospel. We have to share his word. Now remember, when God saves you, he regenerates your heart. Right? I create in you a new heart. And he fills us with his spirit and gives us a willingness to walk with him. If that has happened in your life, what is going to take place with your family, your friends, and your loved ones around you? They're going to see it, aren't they? Your fruits you bear is going to show it, aren't they? Right. So if the Spirit of God lives within you, the things that will come out in your life will be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control and patience. That's what the fruits of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. That's one thing I have a problem with that patience. I, I just, I, 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 you say that some of us get the fruits slowly in that and some get some of the fruit or get it kind of takes a process to get all the fruit? Um, I would say that if the Spirit of God lives within you, all of those fruits will be in you. As you grow and as you mature, it will become more evident. I used to get really anxious at things that I needed to get accomplished, and not just for me, but for other people. And lately, and after all this time, just lately, I'm able not to be so anxious. 
right. and to know it's going right. to work out. It's, I think it's as we grow, we start seeing all those things that you just spoke about. Yeah. It, I don't and, think it's immediate. So right. Don't be, don't be, um, yeah, don't be discouraged if you don't see that right away because God is changing us constantly. Good. We need to remember this, that God is the one that, <clears throat> that is at work in us. And if God is working in us, then it will come out in our lives. That work will be evident in our lives. It may not be evident all the time. And just as Sonia just said, sometimes my patience, uh, the old man comes out more than the new man, right? And I become impatient. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting there slowly but surely, but sometimes... So the rest of your life, God is going to use the rest of your life to conform you to the image of his son. That's the process. The process of being conformed to the image of Jesus is known as sanctification. And if you have a regenerated heart, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you will be sanctified. It's going to take the rest of your life. And so some things will be evident right away. Some things will take time to be evident. But if he is at work in you, you will work. Your works are not what make you a Christian. The fact that Christ lives in you is what makes you a Christian. The fact that he adopted you and made you his child is what makes you a Christian. But if you are a Christian, if the Spirit of God lives in you, then it's going to be evident in your life. Now, we, especially in recovery type programs, have a tendency to want to go to people and say, uh, Jesus saved me, I'm sober, look at the way that I used to be, now this is the way that I am. Now there's nothing in the world wrong with that. But I want you to hear me loud and clear. I really mean this from the bottom of my heart, and I think that I have, I, well, I know that I have Scripture to back me up. Your personal testimony is not going to save anybody. It is only the promises and the Word and the truth of God that saves it is only the Word of God that regenerates the human heart. Now, your personal testimony might make somebody go, there's something different about you. Yes. But your life being changed is not going to change someone else's life. You know what's going to change their life? The gospel. The same thing that changed your life. Jesus and His Holy Spirit and His Word. That's what changes you. And so, if you can look in the spiritual mirror of God's Word, if you will, and see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and long-suffering in your life, then you can be pretty confident that God is at work in your life. But you know what else you'll see in your life? Anger and wrath and envy and jealousy and strife and heresy and sedition and drunken and carousing. Those things will be in your life because that's the old person that you used to be. If God is at work in your life, then what's going to happen? The new man is going to become more and more evident, and the old man is going to become more and more dead. Mm-hmm. None of us in this room are perfect. There is only one perfect person that has ever walked this earth. But He has sent His Spirit to live in you. And if His Spirit is living in you, then your desire is going to want to be perfect like Him. Your desire is going to want to be more Christ-like. How many of you in this room 
ever struggle with falling back into your old thought patterns or falling back into your old lifestyle or having this the horrible idea that something that I used to do was really fun and now I kind of miss it. Right? I do. I do. I do. Right? Well, the reality is there's still that old dead man in me. The difference in me now and the difference in me before Jesus saved me was the old man never struggled with those thoughts. He embraced them. That's, that's pretty true. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, in other words, I struggle with lust. I struggle with it every day. But, at least you are but now I struggle with it. Before, I would have went and tried to get her number. Right, right, yeah. Do you see the difference? Mm-hmm. Because Christ is in work at me, He's changing me. And it's, it's a day-to-day process, and it's going to take the rest of my life for me to become who He wants me to be. Now, with all of that said, what I need to understand is, because I'm His sheep, because He has saved me, because He has made me His child, His sheep are going to follow Him. And what does it look like when we follow Him? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and long-suffering. But we need to understand that the world that you live in around you does not have the same attitude towards Jesus. So they hate him, they despise him, they hate the truth, and they have hearts that are completely and utterly in rebellion to God and his will. Yes. So uh, what you're saying is when we even think about doing wrong, uh, that's. Uh, a sign that God is working in you. In other words, like you're not, instead of going to get the number you think about that's wrong, or going to get angry, and instead of just getting angry and let it go, you think about it's yes. wrong. Yes. And, and not only that, but because you know what Christ did for you on the cross, because you realize that He poured His blood out to forgive you for that sin that you're, you're wrestling with in your mind, it grieves you to know that you are still capable of that. It grieves you to know that the way that you think and the way that the old man used to be, the way that you used to act is what nailed Jesus to the cross. And you don't want to, Paul puts it in the sense of trampling the foot, of, the blood of Jesus underfoot. Like just stepping over it like it doesn't mean anything. Christ died to save you from whatever that sin is that you're struggling with. And when we go out and embrace those sins... We're, we're forgetting what Christ has done for us. Don't we tend to all do that, though? Of course. It's human nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, so watch. As we've been studying the life of Christ, we've been studying the reactions of people to His truth. Some people believed Him and received Him. Some people questioned and came back for more answers later. And some people utterly rebelled Him and wanted to kill Him. The same types of struggles are within us. How many of you have ever had a preacher preach and get into your business and say something that made you mad and you wanted to leave? Uh-huh. Right? Now, if it was just his... If he's just <laughs> preaching... If, if, if a pastor is wrongfully just putting out opinions and points of his point of view then you have all the right in the world to just say, I don't know if I'd go along with that. that. But when God's word is being preached and he teaches you uh, 
and he and he convicts you of something. So let me let me give you an example. Yep. Okay. All right. So let me give you an example. If I were to come and get into a pulpit and arrogantly and pridefully stand up before a group of women and say, "You need to submit to your husband." Mm-hmm. Now, does the Bible say that? Why well, submit to your husband? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. But the Bible also says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the next line. Mm-hmm. Now, you get a bunch of arrogant chauvinist pastors that would actually stand up there and be like, you just need to stay in the kitchen and make me a sandwich and right. be the wife. Right. You know, raise yeah. my kids, you know, take care of my house and serve me. Mm-hmm. Society teaches that. Right. Well, that'd be fine if the man well, right. so, so watch. Yeah. If you... Go to that next verse. It says, "Why husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church." Well, how much did Christ love the church? And give yourself very much. Not to die for it. <laughs> die for us. He laid his life down and shed his blood for it. He died for his church. Yeah. And so, the reality is, is in our fallen human nature, why would any woman want to submit to a a, a sinful, lost, arrogant? self-indulgent, self-sufficient man. Why would she do that? She wouldn't, right? (laughs) Right? But watch. If this same woman had a husband, and when she laid her head down on her pillow at night, when she laid her head down to go to sleep at night, if she knew in the depths of her heart that that man that was laying next to her was willing to die for her, like truly was willing to die for her, like that she is all that matters to him, what is her attitude going to be towards us? She will submit to him. Good. That's exactly right. So watch. When that word is preached, what do you think some arrogant guy is going to hear when he hears a preacher tell a woman, submit? He's going to oh. think he, he oh, can do anything. Do yeah. He can do anything. Right. He can do anything. Good. All right. Here. Now watch. You're my property. And what is the what is a woman's natural uh, natural attitude going to be towards that? No. The hair is going to stand stand up on the back of her head, and what she's going to say ain't no man going to tell me what to do. What to do? So what's happening is that preacher is using God's word in the wrong way, right? But if a woman has a husband who loves her in the sense that he would die for her and she is not willing to submit to him, then what do you think her attitude is going to be oh, she can walk all over him. when the preacher says you need to submit to your husband? If she is not, the, if her heart is not in the right place, what is her attitude going to be towards that verse? Walk out. <laughs> yeah, she'd be like, do something. Good. So, so you, that's the reason I'm bringing that point up. Because our heart has an attitude towards God's truth. And when that truth is presented to us, we're going to react to it. And what is the proper reaction? To yield and submit to that truth. Because we, as the bride of Christ, have a husband who is willing to die for us. He's already done it. You see how that works? And so as we hear God's word, we're going to have an attitude towards that word. And what I'm hoping that each and every one of us in this room see today is this. When we fall into those old thought patterns, when we fall into that desire to go back to our old life, we are our hearts are showing a rebellion to God's will in our life. It is unbelief. 
If if my so if I am in sin, if I catch myself drifting off into old thought patterns and embracing old lifestyles and thinking about boy that sure was fun, mm-hmm. what I, my heart is expressing is is that I'm trusting the old man that I used to be more than I'm trusting the new man that Christ mm-hmm. has made me to be. Mm-hmm. I am in unbelief. Now, does that mean that I'm not saved and that I'm not a believer? No, but I am in unbelief. So think about the children of Israel. Right? God saved them. He he killed Pharaoh's son and drug them out of Egypt and carried them across the desert for 40 years and then get, took them into where? The promised land. But for 40 years, after seeing all of those miracles, after the very presence of God living with them in that tabernacle, every day they'd wake up and there would be a, a big cloud over them protecting them from the sun. And at night there would be a big pillar of fire over the top of the tabernacle to light up the camp so that they could see. Right? Every day that was with them. Every morning they woke up and that manna was there for them. And that food was there for them. And God provided water for them. And God provided meat for them. He gave them all of the things that they needed. Yet instead of focusing on the fact that God had provided all of their needs, they focused on their wants and desires. And even with God literally in their face saying, Here I am, they still rejected Him and still struggled in unbelief. Ronnie, what um, book can I put in here that we're on today? You're in John 7. So, so, so look at this passage really quick. We're in John 7, but turn with me really quickly to Psalm uh, 95. Psalm 95. And let's look at this together. Where's Psalm? Psalm is in the very middle of the Bible. If you open up your Bible to the very middle, it's right in the middle. Well, Ron, don't we? We got the Bible that tells us all that, but yet we still go our own ways. Just we just like the Israelites. That's exactly right. Mm. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. He said their life story. Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that their life story was given to you as a testimony that this is who we are as human beings. All right, Psalm 95. So when I get angry, I'm in unbelief. So I I do that quite often. You are in sin. And sin is unbelief. Now, what, what is the proper response to that? When I catch myself in unbelief, this is what uh, John, First uh, John says. This is First John chapter one. We'll go there and look at that in just a second. If I say that I am without sin, it said, uh, "He who says he is without sin deceives himself, and the truth is not in him." If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I recognize these struggles and sin in my own life, in my own thoughts, in my own uh, home, I am to not ignore them and push them away and go, oh, I'll get over it tomorrow. Tomorrow will be better. I won't think like that tomorrow. What am I to do? I am to immediately confess to my Savior that I have fallen into a pattern of sin in my life, whether it be in thought or deed, and I confess that sin to him and ask him to forgive me for it. I thought since you got the old man and the new man in you, and you think about doing wrong, but you don't, and you go with the new man, you glorify God by not choosing the old man, and you choose the new man. Because that's why we got the old man left in us. They glorify God when we choose the right and not the wrong way. No, the old man will, Adam will never glorify God. Not glorify, no, no. So you got the new man and you got the old man. You got the flesh. So when we think about doing wrong and you don't do wrong, that glorifies God because you're going by what the new man's telling you. 
instead of going by right. the old man. So when Paul says in Galatians that I am crucified with Christ, right. it is no longer I that live, but the Christ Christ's that lives in me. Mm-hmm. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> so when I fall into those patterns of sin, the old man is trying to come out of the grave. Right. And what I need to do is I need to turn from that old man and live in the newness that Christ has created me in. Right. Like I need to trust the new man. The old man will never glorify. The the old man it will never honor God. Right. He he's not capable of it. He's dead in trespass right. and trespassing sin. Right. It's the new creation that I am in Christ that will honor him and follow him and walk with him. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when those patterns come up, it, it's you know, my body is still gonna groan in pain and travail and sorrow until the day that I've been given a new body. Like I'm gonna struggle with sin the rest of my life. That people think that you like once you become a Christian that life's gonna get easier. The reality is as you grow as a Christian, the more aware of your sins you become. So it gets harder. Yeah, well it it stays on your mind more. Right? It doesn't get harder. We we become more aware of what we used to be. Sensitive to it. You're very, you're very much so sensitive to, to. So as you grow, you become more. As you learn to walk in Christ, sin becomes more apparent in your life because you see it more. So, so you're more broken up your sin. That's when you turn to God more. Right. Right. You need to turn to God. So, um, verse Psalm 95, um, verse six. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. What does it mean to worship? Who can tell me what it means to worship God? To praise, to worship. To honor. Okay. All right. So the word worship comes from an old English word. It used to, back when Shakespeare was still writing his poetry, the word was called worth. Ship. W O R T H S H I P. Worth adoration is worth our time. Worth ship. Now we've gotten sore with our tongues as we've uh, developed our community language, and so we take that T out because it's way easier to say worship than worship. Okay? But to worship God means to tell Him that He is worth it. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worth it. That's what it means to worship. It, so. What am I supposed to worship God with? Everything. All of Everything me. You got. <laughs> Does that mean that my thoughts should worship God? Yes. yes. Should my words worship God? Yes. Should my body worship God? Yes. All right. What about this? What about my emotions? Should yes. they worship God? All right. So, if I am being impatient and losing my temper and cursing somebody out, I am not. Or being a Karen. Uh, right. I am not being. I am not showing God that He's worth it. Who am I, when I live that lifestyle? When I do those things, who am I telling God is more important? Me. You see? All right. So watch what He says. Come, let us worship and bow down. What does it mean to bow down? To submit. All right. Now remember how I was saying that it, uh, you tell some. Uh, lady that she needs to submit to her husband what's going to happen immediately the hair is going to stand up on the back of her neck and you're in for a fight okay well the reality is that our fallen hearts react that exact same way to God and his truth that's the truth so what am I to do I'm to submit to him kneel before the Lord our maker why for he is our God and look we are the 
people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, he's the good shepherd. I am His sheep. He lays His life down for His sheep. When He calls His sheep, do what? They hear and they respond. And what is it telling us our response should be here? To submit to God and His will for our lives. All right. Then it says this. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as in the day of, of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they have seen my works, for 40 years I loathed that generation. Do you know what it means to loathe something? Hate it. I loathe that generation. And said they are a people who err in their heart. They do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall never enter my rest. And he kept his promise. He kept his promise. So what is he saying? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did that day in the wilderness. Well, what is he? He's talking about two specific encounters. Um, one time, uh, so couldn't get the water. Couldn't get the water from the rock, right? That was one of the times. And uh, and so, what is he saying? He's saying that I constantly made myself evident to them in the wilderness. I rescued them from Egypt, 400 years of bondage and slavery, and pulled them out of the slavery to carry them to the promised land. And all they had to do was trust me, and it it should have taken them about two and a half weeks to walk from Egypt to the promised land. But instead of taking two and a half weeks, it took 40 years because their heads and their hearts were hard. They refused to trust him. They refused to walk with him. They refused to hear his voice. And so what did they do? They died in the wilderness. All right? So we've been talking about how... That, it's, that how, generation. That generation. Yeah. Now, what that means is God is looking down on me and you today, and when we live our lives with a hardness of heart, when we live our lives in unbelief, when we rebel against Him and His will for our lives, that He, he is angry well, probably with Probably those people, they died in the desert, that generation, their offspring got to go into the promised land. But what happened to those people? Good. They were still His people. Yeah. Did and they if they're, they're the God sheep. They're the sheep. All right. Well, let's think about this. You know Ananias and Sapphira, do you know who they are? In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was first poured down on the church and 3,000 people got saved, mm-hmm. a bunch of the people from the church started coming and giving a bunch of money and, and material goods to the, the church. Year. Well, this, these two, this, this couple, this husband and this wife, Ananias and Sapphira, oh, yeah. they basically brought and went up before the church and put a big donation up there. Oh, look how much money. We sold some land, and here we're giving you the money. The problem was, now I'm making up these figures. These are not the right figures. But the problem is, they went and they told, here, here's $10,000. We sold a piece of land for $10,000. The reality is, is they sold a piece of land for $50,000 and they brought 10000 to the church. They lied about how much, about what they were given. Now, does God need their $10,000? No. 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 He doesn't need it at all. Matter of fact, if he would have rather had somebody come in and bring 50 cent in who was willingly given that money. But these people were withholding. They were keeping a bunch up for themselves, but they were trying to make everybody else in the congregation. Right, so what if they brought the ten thousand and they were honest about they got fifty thousand, but I'd like to give ten thousand. That would have been fine. That would have but been they different. lied. They right. lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. And so to God. The, the 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 man is the one that came and brought the money. He fell over dead. Yes. He left. 
they, or they, he didn't leave. They carried him out of the church. His wife came. His his wife came in a couple hours later, and they were like, "Hey, did you did you sell a lamp for so?" And she was like, "Oh yeah." She was in on the scheme with her husband, and they said, "We just towed your husband out, and now you're we're going to tow you out." And God killed her too. Yeah. Now, the reality is, is that both of them were children of God. Mm-hmm. So God took them home because they were right. That's exactly right. I work I have the privilege and the joy of working yeah. in a in a recovery uh, group uh, here in Savannah and a lot of these people I get to know them they I get to know them for about six eight months and then they leave and go back to their homes and I I can tell you that I know of five or six people who lived three or four years as Christians professing to be Christians and went back out and fell into back into uh, heroin and and things of this nature, and all died from overdoses. God took them home. I don't know that saved their heart. I don't know if we they. We have a friend that. I, I don't know that if they. I don't know if they were truly saved. I, that's not my business. That's and between them and God. But they made a profession before everybody that they were Christians, and then went back out and lived another way. If and the truth. If you're God's people, and you're not doing right. He'll take you home. That's exactly right. You see. So we, so these children of Israel were his children, okay. but what is the warning? Don't harden your hearts like they did. What did, what did he want them to do? In verse 11, therefore I swore in my anger, truly they will not enter my rest. Mm-hmm. Right? Now what is the, what is the Hebrew word for rest that we learned last week? That's different. Right? Sleep. No. What's the word for the Hebrew word for Slumber. rest that we learned last Sleep. week? Mm-mm. It has a lot to do with the day that we go to church. Oh, uh, Shabbat. 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 To rest. You see? What does it mean to rest? It means to simply trust in, in Christ. All right, so if they're not going to enter his rest, I mean, they're still his people. How does that work out? All right. You remember how Jesus said, Come unto me, all you burn heavy, and I'll give you rest. Yes. Take my yoke for it's easy and light. Yeah. What's he saying? He's saying, it's not for you to do. I've already done it for you. And all you have to do is come to me and trust what I've done for you. But even as a saved person who has trusted in what he's done for me, do I have a tendency to say, here, Jesus, I'm going to take the wheel back now. Like, let, let me drive for a little while. All right. And so what happens in our life? What happens when we try to take control and do it? I get frustrated and anxious. You're not resting, are you? No. Okay. So, the point of the Sabbath day is to point us to the fact, when when did God rest? Seventh day. What did he say at the end of the seventh day? It is good. He finished it. It was done. So, what did he do? He rested. All right, now why did he rest? He rested. Did God not get tired? That's for the saints. That's for the people. What does it mean to say God rested on the seventh day? He was finished. I'm done. I'm done. There's nothing left to do. What was the last thing Jesus said when he died on the cross? It's finished. Good. Now, I want every one of you to hear what I say right now. He did not say it is up to you. I've done everything except what you need to do. He said it's finished. And so... When I put my trust in Christ, I'm putting my trust in the fact that so he died. Relax and ride around and pick up folks, bring all that they need to go. And I don't have to worry about nothing. No, you so are I to trust and obey. 
and obedience for the true child of God, for his sheep, obedience should not be a labor. It should be a privilege. It is. Well, I know what's the Pharaoh and I have been wrong, you know, why, why a guy killed him. But look at people like Gideon. He tested God so many different ways. He said, I'm going to put this place outside this morning. I want to do on this side, not on yep. this side. Yep. Next day, he wanted it dry, even though it was raining or something. Well, David. Woo. Yep. Well, fortunate for me and you, one of the greatest attributes of God is that he is long-suffering. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? He's patient. There you go. And we are not, you see? Because if he applied the same principles he applied to the people that dropped dead in the church for selling the land or whatever it was, we'd oh, all be dead. Oh, we'd all make uh, 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 promises to God and not kept them. That's exactly uh-huh. right. You think they were just examples, maybe? You wanted to so, were we disobedient? Would you think that God, when God chooses you to do something, He already knows what you're going to do. He don't need to, it ain't like he knows he needs to know the answer because God sees all. So when you go through things in life, would you say that he is allowing these things? Not that he makes them happen because you you choose it, but through your uh, ignorance or your disbelief uh, or your disobedience, God is grooming you to be a better person. God has decreed everything that's ever going to happen. Yes. And God uses broken and rebellious and flawed men to get his perfect will accomplished. Amen. Amen. That's one of the main themes of the whole Bible. That's right. That's right. There's only one man that was perfect, and That's that right. was his son. That's right. Yeah. But he's used a lot of broken men to get us to where Jesus came. I read a book, Serpent in Paradise, by Erwin Lutzer, a moody church. Erwin Lutzer. And, you know, we give the devil a lot more credit than do sure. because that's God's devil. It's all God's show. Yeah. His whole deal's his. Yeah. Everything's sifted through the hand of God, right? Yeah. So even our even even man's rebellion right. winds up glorifying God. Right. You're right. Because, so, on Judgment Day, when he separates the sheep from the goats, where are the goats going? To hell. And where are sheep going? Heaven. To heaven. All right. Hell is going to glorify God. Why? Because God promised at the very beginning that the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. So the punishment of the damned is going to glorify God because it's going to show that he is a just God. The salvation of his sheep is going to glorify God because it's going to show that he is a merciful God, that he is forgiving and compassionate. And nobody in heaven is going to be able to brag that they're there because of something they've done. That's right. And no one that is in hell is going to be able to blame God that it's his fault that they're there. So, it's not, will. it ain't what we do or we do, what we don't do that makes us right before God. It's only Jesus, right? Yes, but we have a standing before God. When, explain that. What, you, what you're talking about, we have a standing. We have we a... Have, uh, we suppose a duty to do the right thing. Okay, so, so when the children of Israel were rescued from Egypt, who rescued them from Egypt? God. But they had a responsibility to trust him and walk with him after he redeemed them. Right. And he gave them covenant promises and covenant curses based on their actions. Right. In other, uh, in, right. In other words, he said, I've saved you out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Now, here is my plan for your life. If you walk in the, uh, 
in my grace and my truth and my uh, word, blessings. If you reject them, curses. So they, even though they were his children, they had a responsibility to trust and obey. And so that's kind of what he's saying here in this psalm. He's saying, do not harden your hearts like they did. They refused to enter my rest. All right? Now, if we go over to the book of Hebrews, and I, I we, we're, we're definitely in another hole today, but that'll be, that'll be okay. All right, let me see if I can find it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Where? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. It's, it's, All right. Therefore, holy, uh, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have the good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So what the author of Hebrews is doing here is he's quoting Psalms 95. Yeah, but... All right. And it says, and for he said somewhere concerning the seventh day, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached them, failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain today, certain day today, saying uh, through David, after so long a time, just as it had been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and that Sabbath rest is not Sunday. Mm-mm. The Sabbath day is the day that we rest, and it's the day that we, the Sunday is our our Christian Sabbath. But going to church every Sunday is not what gives you that rest. It is a picture of the true rest that comes to those who are entrusted in God. Do you see how that works? It is a, the, our, our Sabbath day, our going to church on Sunday is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is, is that if I am trusting in who? Jesus. Where am I going? Heaven. To the promised land. And can I rest knowing that? If I am trusting Jesus, can I rest in that knowledge? Yeah. Okay. So, watch now. But if I'm trusting in that rest, what is my attitude going to be towards the Sabbath day rest? What's my attitude towards the Sabbath day going to be? Yeah, it's His law, it's His will, it's His desire for my life. So what will my attitude be towards that? I'm going to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What is my attitude going to be towards thou shalt not commit adultery? Listen, his people listen. Good. Now remember, all of those religious guys that were wearing them three-piece suits and standing there uh, chiding Jesus, this is what Jesus said to them. He said, if you look upon a woman to lust after you, you're guilty of committing adultery. 
And that flipped them on their head because they didn't smoke and they didn't drink and they didn't hang around with those that do. But Jesus got up in their heart and said, if it's even going on inside of your heart, you still got problems. And they didn't like that. But the Pharisees, the religious crowd, was remembering the Sabbath day and keep it holy, not to honor God, but to show all of the world that they need to honor them because look at me, I'm keeping the Sabbath. So, the true Sabbath is Jesus. The true rest that we have is in Christ. Those people were not resting in Christ. And Jesus told them. They were resting in themselves and what they were doing. Didn't Jesus tell them that the, the Sabbath was made for the, for the people of man God? Man and not, not man for the Sabbath. Right. But, but think about it. Jesus was telling them this Sabbath day is a day to rest. It's a day to rest in what God has done for you. But instead of resting in God, what, they, what were they resting in? What they were doing. They were making all kinds of rules. You can't they were resting can't in themselves. They were resting in what they do instead of what God had done. So if they had taken the very Word of God instead of trusting in it and walking in it, they used it to glorify themselves instead of God. I think people still do that in a lot of these churches. If you don't come there with a three-piece suit with all this on, this on. Just, not our church. Not our church. So, a lot of people say Right. So, but the truth of the matter is, Michael, is that human nature has not changed in 6,000 years. We're, we're still people. But what is the point that the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to make here? He's trying to teach us that we need to rest in what Christ has done. All right, and look what he says. Uh, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. You see? What that means is, to my Catholic friends who are depending on a mass or who are depending on baptism or who are depending on something that they are doing, their confessions, etc., etc., to get them to heaven or keep them a shorter time in purgatory, who are they dependent on? Themselves. They're dependent on themselves. They're not trusting in the work that Christ has done for them. You see how that works? Oh, yeah. Now, I'm not just picking on the Catholics because we Baptists are we're good at that too. If you make your confession from, from your mind, it's not a real confession. Yeah. You gotta make it from the heart. Right. But the heart and the mind are connected. There's no way to disconnect the two. Yeah. That you shouldn't. You should be truly sorry if you go in there and Some people can't. Alright, so what so watch what happens now. Y'all with me? Verse eleven. In Hebrews, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same examples of disobedience. See what he's saying? Mm-hmm. Let's don't act like the Israelites. They said they trusted God, but they depended on themselves, and instead of focusing on what He was giving them, they was focused on what they didn't have. And then look what he says next. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both the joints and the marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him who we have to do. Therefore, so, rest, 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 and then what does the focus go to? The word of God. 
Yeah. You see? So what are we to rest in? We are to rest in God's promises. Trust, right? That's where you get rest from. Trust. We, we, the peace that belies all understanding. Passes all understanding is when we put our trust in Christ. And who is Christ? He's the Word of God, mm-hmm. the living Word of God. And we are to trust His Word. And that is what we're to rest in. And that's what he's trying to say here. So, uh, to, to sum up the whole class today, as Jesus walked the earth, he is the living Word of God. He is the Word made flesh. What are men's reactions to Jesus? They don't like him. Hear him, receive him, believe him, trust him, and walk with him, reject him, crucify him. Different reactions to the same truth. And each and every one of us in this room will struggle with somewhere in that that still, reaction. we're so grateful that he came to save sure. us. Sure. So, uh, we see that even in the life of his, his own brothers. Uh, let's go, so, let's go back to John 7 now. So, we went way down that hole just to get back into John 7. <laughs> well, we got Lori here. <laughs> this, this is not Lori this time. Lori's not the one that got us in that hole. So John chapter 7, and we'll start in verse... Um, so after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee. This is 7-1. Seven, seven, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see your works. Uh, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. All right, so even his own family members were not yet trusting him. Now, what do we know about his brothers? Not a whole lot. Well, James. Okay. James. We know that Jude mm-hmm. and James wrote books of the Bible, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So two of his brothers apparently became believers. At this time, right? At this time, do they believe him? No. No. That is crazy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, but imagine how hard it is to believe that your brother's the savior of the world and the son of God. I mean, that's tough. If yeah, if my brother came to me and told me to save the world, I'd have him committed. You see? Uh, yeah. yeah. He'd be a George Reasonable. It's a little deeper than that. Jesus was God in the flesh. Yes. No doubt. So it goes well, I mean, I always think the human, but the yeah, human part of God. the food and the, Yeah, you would be like, um, you having a moment? I'm, I'm just saying the human, because they're human beings, they're thinking, my brother is really having a moment. Right. Now. So why can't you be like your brother? Now, <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Jesus without a sinner, so he never did anything wrong. Imagine trying to be his brother. Yeah, he didn't go in time out. Well, yeah. well, think about this. You okay, Sammy? Think about this. The Bible says that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to say that we are co-heir with Him? What What does an heir get? Family. We're part of His family. We're part family of His family. Yeah, and we're and the inheritance. Who does the inheritance come from? Yeah. Our Father who art in heaven. That's right. And if we are co-heirs with Him, what does that make us? It makes us His brothers. God's our Father, Christ our brother. They're, 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 so we can get our hair. Uh, one of the joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers. Well, there's, there's um, there's a line in there that says, Christ our brother, God our Father, Christ our brother. 
So in a in a earthly sense, in the fact that he was born of a man, it was a, son, a physical son of Abraham. That's the only way we're going to be able to understand. Right, we we can relate to him. But what is the point I'm trying to make? His physical natural brothers, Mary's kids, didn't trust him, and we do the same thing, don't we? Yeah, we do. We're his spiritual brother, and we still have trouble trusting him that he's the savior. You see? So, what is it going to take for me and you to be able to trust him? What is it going to take for me and you to be able to enter into his rest? We have the Holy to, Spirit. Well, what did the Hebrews passage say? The Word of God is living and active mm-hmm. and more powerful than the two-edged sword, able to divide the soul and the son or the spirit. What does, it mean? What does it mean, that mean? It means cut you to your heart yeah. and cut away all the dead okay. and, and expose you to the truth of who he is. It's like a surgeon's scaffold. He's able to cut away all that old man that you used to be, and and fill you with his truth. That's so. How do I? How am I going to trust Christ by hearing His word? How am I going to hear His word by coming to Bible study, by going to church and hearing a preacher, and even just as important as both of those, and reading your Bible by personal time with with the Scriptures. And ask the I, I do believe He's forgiven my sins, but I, my big guilt is that I can't please, I can't be pleasing to God. I can't do exactly what God wants me to do. Yeah, and so that that's a struggle that we will all have. That's that's a great point you're bringing up. But Michael, if me being, if I'm trying to please God, whose strength am I using to try to please God? That's why you can't. You can't please him, and you can't please him through your own efforts. So how do you supposed to please him? Because you want to try to please him, but it seems like you fail all the Good. time. Good. So watch this. This is what's so beautiful. When Jesus said it is finished, what does that mean? He paid for how many of your sins on the all, all, all right. But that's part of salvation. The fact that he has forgiven us for all of his sins. But the great exchange comes when not only does he take away your sins, but he credits you with the life that he lived. Mm. Okay? Okay, say it. Please say it one more time. Okay. You have been forgiven for how many of your sins? All of them. How many of your sins did Christ pay for on the cross? All of them. But not only that, not only did he take away your sins... But justification comes in the fact that you are justified. That means you are righteous in God's eyes. Why are you righteous? Because he clothes you in his goodness. So who was the only person that lived a life good enough to go to heaven? Jesus. All right. When you are saved, not only does he take away your sins, but he gives you his life. He credits you with the life that he lived. Oh wow! So to enter His rest means who am I trusting in to go to heaven? Jesus. Him and what He's done for me. You're ple- you you will never be able to please God in your fallen nature. If you want to please God, then you simply rest in what He has done for you. Does that make sense? It does, but I mean, I could walk right out here and see a girl in short shorts. Ooh wee, <laughs> you know. And I, when I'm really trying to please God and not to look at her, and that, I mean, I'm trying, you know, doing it myself, but you got, I think i got to put myself in the right position. To do yeah, the right, the right position for you is on the cross. Mm-hmm. I am crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know what you're saying, but if I hang around bars all the time, I'm probably going to... Well, then don't go to the bar, Michael. 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 Okay. All right, so Michael, Michael. Why why are you even bringing that up if I hang around at bars? Why why are you bringing it up? Just in case. So, if you find yourself in a bar, if you find yourself in a bar, who are you trusting in? Yourself. Me. The alcohol. All right. That's why you're struggling. Because you're not resting in him, you're resting in you. And there's no rest in you. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, that's, um, let me just finish with that because we do have to close. Okay. Please remember that about your salvation. When you stand on Judgment Day, all right, you will be rewarded for the things that you have done in this life if they are things that God has given you to do. And you will lose rewards for your disobedience. But the reason that you are going to heaven is not because of what you have done, but because of what He has done for you. So how many... How many of your sins are you going to have to pay for in eternity? Oh, none. Because Christ just paid for them. But the reason that you are going to heaven is because of what Christ has done for you. He's taken away how many of your sins? All of them. But just as important to remember is He's also shared His righteousness with you. He's credited you with His goodness. And so you're getting into heaven on His credit. Well, that makes me think I shouldn't do anything. I mean, I don't have to do nothing. I can just basically go wherever. Okay, good. Hear what I said? Well, I mean, I just not. No, what you have to. This is what you have to do. Believe. And what does believing look like? What does believing look like? Trust and obedience. If I believe him, I will obey him. I'll walk past the bar. If I go in the bar, what am I doing? I'm hardening my heart to His truth yeah, and doing things my way. Buy a drink, go over down the street to a food line and get you a big chicken and bring it home to your wife. <laughs> there you go. I got 24 ounce Budweiser. <laughs> I'm not alcoholic. Michael. I'm just using that as a Michael, Michael, Michael. All right. Michael, Let's Michael. close with a word of prayer. It's been a good class. I hope that everybody can take something from today. Um, it is good to know that we have a Savior who died for us to forgive us for Let's uh, trust Him and walk with Him. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this time together. Thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, to save us. Please help us to continue to trust Him and walk with Him. Uh, Please help us to be more aware of times in our life where we're not resting in Him, where we're trying to do things in our own strength or trying not to do things in our own strength. Help us to trust Him and Him alone. Uh, We thank You so much for all You do. Please go with us now. Uh, In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.